What is up, everybody? I am Corbin Gregg. And I'm Kate Galliford. On today's episode of Retrospect, we give a breakdown of some of the ways key house races in New York and New York City are shaping up and what that means for the upcoming 2020 election. We explore some of the differences between these more region-specific elections compared to the presidential election, but also how the more personalized and local approaches to leadership offered by House candidates is important even when dealing with global issues such as climate change and the coronavirus pandemic. We also talked to Nicole Perkins, who's a features editor for the Fordham Observer, and who's been closely following some House races as well as the primaries that have led us to next week's general election. Our discussions with her demonstrate even more how local politics and their victories has a real impact on the national level. In the interest of full transparency, Nicole knows so much about these races and candidates because she has worked as an intern for Peace Action New York State, an organization that has endorsed candidates such as Nancy Goroff in their races. However, her perspective and opinions are her own. Today, in the second part of our special 2020 election coverage, we wanted to focus a bit more on local politics. Being that Fordham is in New York and we all have some ties here, regardless of whether you are in person this semester or not, we thought it was important to talk about some of the ways smaller house races and their primaries have shaped up. So we're gonna start off with New York's first district, which is located at the tip of Long Island. And our challengers include incumbent Republican representative Lee Zeldin, who will be facing off against Democratic challenger Nancy Goroff. According to the Cook Partisan Voter Index, AKA the PBI, which measures the standard partisan divide in the district compared to the rest of the nation, New York's first district is an R plus five, meaning in recent years, it has tended to lean Republican. It was also part of the phenomenon of the formerly Obama-held districts that switched to Trump in 2016. However, more recent polling has suggested that the race will actually be tighter than that. Earlier in October, Zeldin led Goroff by only a single point, according to GQR research. Of course, uh, Representative Zeldin currently holds the seat, and some information about him. According to his website, he's a Long Island native. He's an Army veteran, a former paratrooper and lawyer, and he has held that seat since 2015. Yep, and uh, Zeldin's challenger, Nancy Goroff, is a chemistry professor at Stony Brook University. Uh, on her campaign website, she uses her background as a professor and the chair of the Stony Brook Chemistry Department to illustrate how she, you know, believes in science and it takes an evidence-based path through pressing issues such as the coronavirus pandemic. So most notable to us was the way that this race kind of makes clear how national and even global issues can impact local communities. Sometimes we see these like kind of large issues like the coronavirus pandemic or climate change. And we think that this is like something that only affects us on like the national level. But Zeldin and Goroff's campaign websites show that like things like climate change do impact local communities. And it's important to address the issues that those local communities face. So both of their websites include mentions of different environmental issues, like how Long Island communities are at risk due to coastal erosion uh, and sea level rise. However, there were some differences between their websites that we noticed. Zeldin's website doesn't mention climate change specifically, instead focusing on how he has worked in different congressional caucuses to address some of the issues, such as sea level rise. He also criticizes the Green New Deal on his campaign website. However, differently, Goroff notes that she wants to create a path forward for carbon neutrality by 2035, and she specifically names climate change as a direct cause of 
environmental degradation on Long Island. So you can kind of see some differences there in how different national conversations are framing the debate on these local levels. All of this kind of just goes to show how important local leaders are in addressing these large global issues, even in these local communities. So we asked the Fordham Observer's Features Editor, Nicole Perkins, how she felt about this race and exactly what it means on a broader scale for local and national politics. Here's what she had to say. So with the race between um, Nancy Gorham and Lee Zeldin, I think that it's one of, if not the most interesting housewife race in New York. So Lee Zeldin is a very staunch Republican. He's also a Trump supporter. Um, and he makes it very clear in the house that he stands behind Trump. Nancy Gorham, by comparison, she beat out two other Democrats in the primary. And it was a really, really close race. Like they were like 1% apart. She has the backing of the science community. She got very large amount of mail-in ballots as opposed to in person. She doesn't have any prior political experience. The way that the local election affects on the national level and vice versa is that um, you basically have someone who is on the forefront of like COVID protocols and like, you know, taking proper precautions and your social distancing and all that. And they're against someone who is falling in line behind Trump, who you've seen how he's dealt with dealing with COVID um, or the way that he has approached combating the pandemic. In that sense, it's basically a small reflection of what's going on nationally. Also, um, the representation of women in STEM in Congress is pretty small. And so that is something that would be big on the national scale. And then in terms of how national affects local, the Trump campaign is really trying to do whatever they can to have like Republicans across the board win, which makes sense because they're Republicans. As a result, Lee Zeldin has gotten a lot of support from other Republicans from across the country who kind of see him as like a standard of like, this is where Republicans have to win. At the FEC website, you can look up the donations that he's received and you can see where it's come from and you will find it from other Congress people. It's just kind of reflects of a larger, of essentially larger politics, even though we're not in District 1. And I would guess that very few people at Fordham vote in District 1. It is a very, it's a good election to watch. And it's very applicable to what we're living in right now. Another tight race that is coming to a close in New York but is a bit closer to our Fordham campus is that of New York's 11th district, where Representative Max Rose is facing off against Nicole Maliotakis. Uh, this district covers Southern Brooklyn and Staten Island, so it is much closer to home in New York City. So this is a close race. Uh, 538 gives Max Rose a slight edge with about a 56% chance of retaining his seat. Uh, remember, that is a percentage chance of winning, not a poll. So really, that's only slightly better than a coin flip. A recent poll out of Marist College actually even gave Maliotakis a two-point lead over Rose. Throughout his congressional term, Rose has had to walk a kind of fine line in Congress. Having won his seat in the 2018 midterms after Trump had won his district in 2016, uh, he's in the position of many Democrats in the country following the 2018 midterms, which is kind of interesting is, and it's an important dynamic to look at for different house races, whether you're talking about New York City or wherever you are in the country listening right now, uh, where Democrats are attempting to fall in line with the Democratic Party values that they're supposed to hold as being Democrats in Congress. However, they're also trying to not alienate voters that also voted for Trump in 2016. So something that's really significant about this race is the way that it's really been framed around national issues that generally you would think wouldn't really have quite a direct impact on these local communities that are voting. 
Um, obviously, there's always an element of this. National politics are always going to interfere in local politics, being that we're talking about a branch of Congress. However, this race in particular just goes to show how these House races and the relationships that politicians have with their local community is becoming strained as a direct result of national politics. So a big example of this is that Rose had previously argued against impeachment, stating that it was increasing partisanship within the United States, which has been an issue of concern lately, and kind of that it was a distraction when there is necessary work to be done. However, eventually he fell in line with the Democratic Party and voted to impeach the president less than a year ago. The New York Post covered a debate on New York One in which Rose said he didn't regret his vote to impeach Trump. Trump has since, as of a few days ago, tweeted a quote-unquote complete and total endorsement of Maliotakis, his opponent, quote tweeting the Sergeant's Benevolent Association, which is a police union for New York City, and has basically put his support directly behind Rose's um, opponent, Maliotakis. So all this isn't necessarily to say that this race hinges on Trump, um, but there are issues that are important to voters in local New York communities. Um, obviously the coronavirus pandemic hit New York incredibly hard earlier this year. It was the epicenter. That is a national issue that really hit incredibly close to home in New York. Cases have been on the rise. Once again, in recent weeks, we're seeing a surge pretty much nationally, but including in New York. Um, and during an interview with New York Magazine, Rose criticized supposedly quote unquote elite Democrats who he views as holding up coronavirus relief for working Americans and kind of withholding that from them as a political ploy. Maliotakis also lists COVID related policy in her campaign website where she links to posts where she criticized Andrew Cuomo's decisions to continue the lockdown of New York City during the summer and attempted to lay out steps for reopening back in May, falling more in line with the Trump and Republican view of moving past the pandemic and ways to address that. So New Yorkers obviously have incredibly important choices to make in choosing the leaders that will represent their local community at the federal level. We spoke with Nicole again about the Rose versus Maliotakis race and what it represents for New Yorkers and the country at large. Max Rose just beat the incumbent last election and it was Republican. So I'm not surprised that it's a close race. Parts of Brooklyn and Staten Island is red leaning. Obviously, New York is a large area. And when you have large areas, you have economic disparities. And so it's interesting to see if one area will be better serviced than the other because that happened in the primaries. Nicole also had things to say about some previous primaries in New York, as well as some of the rising candidates poised to make history next Tuesday. So here's Nicole on that. So the race between Bowman and Angle was probably the most watched primary in New York. It was incredibly important for a few reasons. So first of all, Engel was a very senior member in the Democratic Party. He had been in the party for a very long time. He was actually known for, he would sit for the State of the Union address early so that he could shake the president's hand. He stopped doing this with Trump. But um, that's what he was kind of known for. And he was just kind of a fixture of Congress. Jamal Bowman came along. And essentially, he was this high school educator. He hadn't really had any political experience. And he was part of the same organization that AOC was. And basically, at first, nobody really thought that Bowman was going to win because Elliot Engel was like a fixture of the house. It was the same with AOC and Joe Crowley. No one thought that Joe Crowley would lose. And we saw such similar things, such as a lot of big money coming into the election. And you would never 
expect to see um, like high ranking members of Congress or governors or like former like runners for president to donate to a local campaign. But the reason that they did that was because it was essentially a turning point. Prior to this, only AOC had like, quote unquote, primaried someone. And it could have been dismissed as a fluke. It could have been said that, you know, he didn't come home a lot or he spent too much time in DC. Um, But if Bowman won, then it would add strength to the fact that it's not a trend and that it's a new wave of people coming into Congress. This was a problem for people like Nancy Pelosi, who's more of a centrist Democrat. Um, AOC and Bowman are pretty far left. AOC identifies as a democratic socialist. The idea of another AOC coming into Congress was not something that they were looking forward to. So a lot of money was was poured into the Engel campaign, but Bowman was supported by uh, Elizabeth Warren, AOC. I think Bernie even endorsed him. And so um, he kind of was getting more and more momentum. At the same time, unfortunately for Elliot Engel, he made several uh, gaffes publicly. He was at a event and he didn't know that the microphone wasn't muted. He said, if I didn't have a primary, I wouldn't care about the civil unrest that took place in his borough. Essentially, that was kind of the nail in the coffin for him. Bowman ended up winning. It wasn't called for a little bit because with mail-in voting, it election results in New York took up to a month. I think the election in District 12 wasn't called until mid-July, but he eventually won. Um, he's in a very Democratic district, so it's assumed that he's going to go to Congress. And um, no one ever thought, just as they did with AOC and Crowley, that someone with no political background or like influence could be this like pinnacle of, of a Democrat, but he ended up doing it, and it was really remarkable. Um, I'll just talk about Richie Torres's race. He ran in District 15. Um, I think it was Nita Lowry was retiring. And basically he, the people that he was running against, there's some characters. Richie Torres ran in a very packed district. The biggest competitor that he had that everyone was commenting on, his name is Ruben Diaz Sr. He identifies as a Democrat, but he has made very Republican leaning remarks, which is why so many people were concerned that he was, uh, in some polls, he was ranking fairly well. He, he would not be traditionally described as a Democrat. Something that he did that got a lot of controversy is that he made a couple homophobic remarks. He's fairly religious. Richie Torres is an openly gay man. And so this kind of made people pay attention to it simply because of that conflict. If you look at the voting tallies, basically, you'll see that it was a pretty close race because if you have eight Democratic candidates, it's not like one of them is feasibly really going to get like 50%. But it was a close race. They didn't know how it would be called. And it was important for Richie Torres to win, not just because of his politics, but because of the fact that he was the first openly gay, Black, Latinx man elected to office beating, or in Congress, beating a man who'd made several homophobic remarks. And a lot of people, I think, hear New York and they think that it's very blue and that it's always Democratic. But that's not the case. Um, this man, Ruben Diaz Sr., is like a prime example of that. He 
got a lot of support in such a blue district. If you were to look at his track record and you didn't know his party, you would think that he's a Republican. That's why I would say local elections are so important because things start at local elections. For the most part, people who are politicians, they're starting at a local level and you kind of see their true colors when they start at a local level. There's just so much to be learned from watching politics at the local level. Even going beyond um, New York House races, you can go smaller than that. Local elections, you have borough presidents, those are all things that are gonna affect you every day. This has been Retrospect. Special thanks to Nicole for coming on today and talking to us about important house races in New York and what local level political action is doing for the country as a whole. By this time next week, all votes in the November general election will have been cast and we will start to have a better idea of what the country will look like and our local communities will look like for the next few years. If you haven't already, please make sure to vote. I know at this point it's a cliche. It's all over everywhere. It's on your social media. Your professors are telling you but you have to make sure that your voice is heard. No matter what side you're on, we can all agree that this is a really important election. As we all learned today, our choices and our representatives matter uh, on the local level, on the national level. And even those who are meant to represent our localities need to be able to deal with massive global issues because they affect all of us, even in our small communities. We will be back again next week with your regularly scheduled and favorite retrospect podcast. As always, I'm Kate Galliford. And I'm Corbin Gregg. Talk to you all next week.